Hello there, I'm Patrick Strofe. Welcome to M&A Masters, where I speak with the leading experts in mergers and acquisitions. And we're all about one thing here, that's a clean exit for owners, founders, and their investors. Today, I'm joined by Michael Butler, Chairman and CEO of the investment banking firm, Cascadia Capital. Based in Seattle, Cascadia Capital is a team of transparent, client-focused, trusted advisors with deep expertise in a broad range of industries. Michael came to my attention following an article he posted in response to the coronavirus pandemic just a week ago and was entitled, Opportunity Does Not Go Away, It Only Changes Form. We'll link to this on our show notes. Michael, thanks for joining me today. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you for having me. Before we get into Cascadia Capital and and the article uh, you posted, let's give our clients a little bit of context. Tell us how you got to this part in your career. Sure, Patrick. I'm a a Seattle native. Went to University of Washington. Then went out to Philadelphia to get my MBA at uh, the Wharton School. And then after that, went up to uh, Wall Street and and worked uh, on Wall Street for 18 years with Lehman Brothers and Morgan Stanley. And then in 1999, with two small kids in New York City and a wife who didn't want to raise a family in the city, uh, moved back to Seattle and co-founded Cascadia Capital. Again, that was in the middle of 1999. All was good for about a year, year and a half. And then we hit the uh, internet bubble burst. So not good timing on my part, but I I think you've got to make the leap at some point. And I did so in 1999. Well, at least now you and I can both say that we've gone through three, or now this is our third real big shock to the economy because we had the dot-com issue there, then follow follow that with the banking uh, crisis in uh, uh, 2009, 2008, 2009, and the fun that we're going through here. I agree. We've seen a few. I think it makes it easier. You know, you've, you've seen this movie before. And if you've seen the movie, you kind of know what's coming next. You kind of have an idea of, of how the movie's going to end. And it enables you to be proactive and, and look at the opportunities um, rather than just focusing on the challenges. And that's, uh, that's what we're trying to do here. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, that's the thing is that unlike um, some other people in, in the society right now, if you've gone through this, you know that life will go on. And so you have to have that in your mindset that this is an Armageddon and we've got a long way to go. Now, tell me about Cascadia Capital. Um, I always like finding out how you came up with the name and then, and then talk about what the focus is because you're not agnostic being a generalist. You guys are very specific on a couple of specific areas. Sure. So Kevin Cable and, and I co-founded Cascadia in 1999. Um, we couldn't decide whether to call it Cable and Butler or Butler and Cable. I, uh, I bought a house on Cascadia Avenue in Seattle, Washington. And, and Cascadia is kind of the, 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 the name for the region that encompasses Vancouver, B.C., uh, Portland, Seattle, and, and Boise. And so I said to Kevin, look, maybe it's a good omen that I, that I moved um, to Cascadia Avenue. Why don't we just call the firm Cascadia Capital? He thought that was a great idea. And that's how we, uh, how we came up with the name. It was uh, no, no brilliant thinking. We didn't hire you know, a marketing firm. It was uh, uh, kind of a, a coincidence of, of me moving to Cascadia Avenue. And that being a, a name that described this region that we live in. 
Well, it's also helpful nobody took the name ahead of you. Absolutely. Yeah, sometimes, uh, sometimes you got to be a little bit lucky. What Kevin and I um, originally tried to do was, was um, focus the firm exclusively on the Northwest. You know, our thesis was the Northwest was going to become uh, a great region, and, and we would focus on the Cascadia region. You know, that plan worked well for about 15 months until the internet bubble burst. And then we quickly realized we had to, we had to broaden our footprint and we became a, a national firm over the years. We also determined that the day of the generalist was, was going away and that you had to have domain expertise and really understand the industries you worked in to add value to your, your clients. So those were uh, a couple of the big lessons we learned from the uh, internet bubble bust. And your commitment in, in terms of the, the sector of, of uh, the industry that you're looking in terms of size, is your lower middle market to middle market? Yes. Uh, our, our client base tends to be probably 75% non-institutionally backed. So um, entrepreneur-owned businesses, family-owned businesses. They typically have uh, an enterprise value between 50 to 500 million. I would say our sweet spot is 75 to 200 million. Again, we'll do deals bigger than that and smaller than that, but that's that's really the sweet spot for the, the companies we work with. Well, I think that that sector is a great sector and some people may think it's on the larger side, uh, some think it's on the smaller side. I sincerely believe that that lower middle market under $70 million uh, transaction value is a vast and underserved market. And so the more people can find out about specialists such, such as Cascadia, I think it, it's nothing but helpful because unfortunately, a lot of these organizations, if they're not doing M&A all the time, they're not aware of organizations like yours. And they make the mistake of defaulting to the big institutions and the brand names. And what ends up happening is they get underserved, they get overlooked, and they also get overcharged. And a lot of times there are solutions for the middle and lower middle market that are out there that the big institutions just don't provide. And it's in the interest of the lower middle market members to really find out these specialists like yourself because You've got solutions that are beyond the bandwidth of the larger organizations that would alternatively just go ahead and pull down some, some off-the-shelf canned product for them because they just don't have the bandwidth to handle that much servicing. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree, Patrick. What, what we found is there's a different set of circumstances that, that impact lower middle market companies compared to, to larger companies. You know, typically, they don't have the infrastructure that a larger company will have. They might not have the, the CFO or the processes or procedures. So when we work with a company, you know, a lot of times it takes, um, it takes months and months to get them ready to go to market because we have to help them think through their infrastructure and their people and their processes to kind of get them ready to, to be able to go to market. And that takes a lot of patience. It, it takes um, experience having done it before. And I think the larger firms just don't have a business model that allows them to spend that amount of time with, uh, with a company. Give us a couple of examples of what you did with, with clients like that, where you literally had to stage the house before it went on the market. Yeah, exactly. So what we try to do is, is put together a team 
to help a company. And that, that means bringing in the proper accounting firm. It, it means bringing in at least a temporary CFO if they don't have a CFO that, that, that is up for the task. And it, it also means bringing in a good law firm. So it, it's going through the various contracts that they have with suppliers or customers to make sure that those contracts are in a form that will be acceptable to a buyer. It, it's making sure that they have the right checks and balances in their financial function and in robust books that can withstand the diligence process they'll need to go through. It, it, it means making sure that their strategy, their operations, and their financials all tick and tie, right? That, that the, the financial uh, model reflects the operational model that reflects the strategic direction of the company. And so after you've done this, you know, the number of times we've done it, you kind of know where to look for issues. And once we find those issues, you know, we know who to bring in or how to help them solve the problem. That avoids surprises during the diligence phase or during the negotiations, doesn't it? Exactly. What we tell our, our, our clients is you want to take as much time as needed to get ready to go to market. Because if you go into the market and you're in diligence, and the buyer finds a problem, they're then going to look for the next problem, right? It, 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 it lessens their confidence in, in, in the company being a, a, a clean company, so to speak. So we, we spend a lot of time um, making sure clients can withstand the diligence process. The other thing we, we find, Patrick, with our client base is a lot of them have not done the personal financial planning that they need to do to minimize taxes, or to maximize after-tax proceeds. And so we, we also recommend that they work with you know, a financial advisor or a personal attorney to make sure that their, their own personal house is in shape so that when they go through this process, they can maximize the after-tax return to them. And that might mean gifting shares to their children. It might mean setting up trusts. And that all takes time to do. That's nice because you're caring about the people, not just making sure the deal gets done. And then that that's the that's the owner or founder. That that's their business. We're not going to touch that. I mean, that could be everything. Yes, it, it absolutely can be. The amount that an owner of a business can save by by having the right tax structure uh, in place is immense. And and these clients become our friends. Right? And we realize that. In many instances, this is somebody's life's work, or it's several generations of their life's work, and and we take that pretty pretty darn seriously. And so we we make sure that we spend the time to to get to know them, understand their objectives, and 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 make sure that they're well positioned to maximize the returns for what many is the the biggest financial decision of their life. I. Always think of M and A ever since I got into it um, a few years back. Was I always thought about the people aspect myself, just just as you do. Where it's not Company A buying Company B or merging with Company B. It is one group of people deciding to trust and combine forces with another group of people. And in an ideal situation, the the new whole is greater than the sum of its parts. That's where it's you know win 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 out there, and it, it comes down to trust, and it comes down to people, and so it always, it always does. Yeah, with um, every time 
with this, you mentioned the, the financial impact for, for owners. As an insurance person, we always look also just on how can we reduce mitigate risk, which is very, very boring, but it can be the key to having a successfully executed deal. And that's where we ensure the, the transaction itself through rep and warranty insurance. It's been a product that's been out there for years, been very, very popular recently. Um, if you could, good, bad, or indifferent, share with us any experiences you've had with rep and warranty on your deals. So we look at reps and warranties as the new quality of earnings. So about three, four years ago, buyers demanded quality of earnings reports, which are basically a good housekeeping seal of approval from an accounting firm around a company's finances. And they've become just part of the transaction. Almost every deal we work on has a quality of earnings. And what it does is it gives the buyer comfort in the seller's numbers. And it's a risk mitigation strategy for for the buyer. And it's something that every seller needs to do. We think uh, rep and warranty insurance is on the same trend. We think really every deal is going to have rep and warranty insurance. The, the cost benefit is immense. The cost is, is really minimal when you think about the benefits that, that the insurance provides. It, it means less money has to go under escrow. It means more goes to the seller on day one. It allows the, the buyer to have comfort in, in case something goes wrong because they have the insurance. And so it's going to become, in our view, standard for, for every deal we work on. It makes so much sense. Yeah. It, it just makes too much sense not to um, become the case. And it, it, you know, again, from a cost benefit analysis, it's, in our opinion, a no brainer. Now, as we record this, we're hopefully, you know, who knows from week to week, but we're hopefully on the, on the downside of the, the shelter in place uh, environment with COVID-19 and that we are, you know, with the term of your, uh, article there, you know, there's going to be uh, an end to this and we're going to go forward. Um, just um, to put this in a little bit of context for folks, in your article, you talk about the, the comparison contrast between the, the great banking recession of 2009 and the current environment we're in right now. And, and you have a unique take on it. So if you could summarize and share that with us, I'd appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, there, there, there are similarities, but there are a lot of dissimilarities. The, the, the Great Recession of two thousand and eight and two thousand and nine was was due to uh, financial weakness uh, in in the mortgage market and in the high yield market, and so there was there was instability in the financial system, which caused the recession. The the situation today is different. Um, the government essentially put a healthy economy on hold. And, and, and it was a, a choice the government made, not because of, of any underlying financial weakness, but because of a, of a health issue. So our view is that there's an underlying strength in the economy that, um, that will begin to show once we get through the, uh, the quarantine. And even in the last week, we're starting to see what we call some green shoots. Um, deals are moving along a little bit better than they were three weeks ago. Um, we're starting to see companies looking to potentially come to market in the next four to eight weeks. Um, we have a couple new deals that, that are in market that received good bids. 
So I think there's some, some green shoots. The, the biggest difference I see between 2008 and 2009 and, and the situation we're in today is this feels like a movie that's on fast forward. Everything seems to be happening so much quicker today than it did in 2008, 2009, or in 2001 through 2003 when we had the internet bubble burst. You know, it, it, it took time for those, um, those downturns to kind of cycle through. And, and today what we're seeing is, is the, the things we saw that took six to 12 months to happen in the last two downturns are happening in, you know, six weeks in this downturn. And it, it just feels like it's on fast forward. So we're going to move through this one in our view a lot, a lot more quickly than, than we did the last two. Well, that's the type of message, that optimistic message for a quick turnaround that we all want to hear. And it's not, you know, Pollyanna, this is fairly realistic, but Michael, uh, back, we spoke about what's going to happen when this does end and it, it will end. You characterize the coming period as July is the new January. Tell us what you mean by that. Yeah. So I didn't coin that. I can't take credit. We are hearing that in the marketplace from investors and buyers. And there's a view among investors and buyers that by the time July rolls around, you know, things will begin to be back to normal and then activity will peak and pick up. Typically, what you see each year is just kind of a rush um, to, to, to look at new deals in January because the, the period from Thanksgiving to year end tends to be very slow. People put down their pencils. They don't really look at new deals. So you get a lot of pent-up demand in January because people haven't really done much the, the prior six to, to six to seven weeks. And I think the view is by July, the deal market will open up and buyers and investors will have pent-up demand because they haven't done a lot of deals over the, the preceding two to three months. So the, the theme we keep hearing from, again, investors and buyers is that July will be the new January meaning there'll be a lot of activity, a lot of pent-up demand, and you'll start to see the logjam break. And you're open for business and ready, ready for anything that's coming, even now. You're not, you're not going to wait till July. No. So, you know, we're, we're, there's a lot of things you can do right now. You can help companies think through strategy. You can help them think through operations. We have a, a couple of companies that were looking to go to market in, in March. And we advise them not to go to market. And now they're looking to be buyers. They're saying, look, this might be a great opportunity for me to buy some of my struggling competitors, integrate them, and go to market you know, in a year with a business that's one and a half times as big then as it currently is now. And so there's a lot you could be doing uh, during this downturn to, to prep and, and get ready for the expected upturn. Very, very helpful. Michael? How can our listeners find you? So I'm available on my cell, which is 917-865-0962 and uh, via email, which is mbutler at cascadiacapital.com. Well, Michael, it's been very uh, informative and I really appreciate the, the optimistic tone we have here just because I'm getting a little tired of seeing all the COVID-19 war- warning emails I'm getting from all the law firms. So every now and then it's nice to have a nice, sunny, happy report. <laughs> well, I just say I'm a realistic optimist. Let's hope I'm right. Uh, you, you and me both. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Patrick.